You know, sometimes despite our best intentions, things just don't work. And that was the case, wasn't it, with the uh, Wayback Music Machine yesterday? It just would not start. I don't know what happened. I think we needed some uh, an oil change. <laughs> well, you know, I did take it in for an oil change last night, and uh, we should be good. So today we've got an interesting trip. We're going to be going from west to east, aren't we? We're starting in Hawthorne, California, heading to New York, and then heading over to London to finish the trip. So that should be excellent. And we are not bringing any gremlins with us. We had too many of them yesterday. Thank you very much. No, exactly. The machine is purring like a kitten. So I'm ready to go. Are you? I'm so ready and, and, and we're all working. So let's roll. All right. Road trip time. Maps. Check. Snacks. Double check. Tunes. Check. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Badgley. And we are cruising the rock and roll highway in our way back music machine. Are you ready, my friend? I sure am. I have the feeling this is going to be the start of a great adventure. Kind of a magical mystery tour. Somehow I knew you were going to say that. Oh, it's so nice when the Wayback Machine is working properly. So um, I think we have to go to Hawthorne, California first, don't we? August 3rd, 1963? We do indeed. So let me see if everything's working. I should be able to set the dials and go. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's uh, fingers crossed. Hey, and toes. Ready. Okay, let's jump. Well, here we are, August 3rd, 1963, in Hawthorne, California. And you know, I love when we go back to California in the 60s, don't you? I really like these striped t-shirts, yes. Yeah, me too. You know, and I, I like the whole vibe. And uh, I do too, I do too. And I'm sure it's going to be uh, no surprise to people when they hear that we're going to Hawthorne that we're talking about the Beach Boys. Well, they... they... They basically started the whole surf music, right? I mean, I know there was a couple of surf songs prior to them, but really they made it huge, right? Oh, absolutely. And so here we're actually, uh, this is when they released Surfer Girl. And it is the first song that Brian Wilson ever wrote and the first one that he got full production credits for. So I find that interesting. Yeah, and I was reading up. I mean, apparently, and this isn't. This should not come as a surprise. But you know, he had written other songs as a teenager and all that kind of stuff. But the first serious song that the Beach Boys would record that he wrote, and Tony, I, I, I think he's a genius. Like I, I know there's some problems and things happen with him and all that kind of stuff. But man, when he was in the early '60s, I, I'm, I'm sorry, he was one of the best. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I think the genius label totally applies to Brian Wilson. Uh, this is uh, also from the Surfer Girl album, and it's their third album. And he was given the sole credit for producing the album. So, testament to him. But uh, it did pretty well, too, didn't it, Surfer Girl? Well, number seven. Number seven. And, and it was on the charts for over a year. So, And, and you know what? The B-side is actually one of my favorite uh, Beach Boys songs. Isn't it funny to see what's on the B-side? But I mean, Little Deuce Coop is probably a more of a, re a known song by them these days than Surfer Girl. Yeah, I think so, actually. And uh, I love Little Deuce Coop. Just a great... I love those old car songs, actually. I'm a car yeah, guy. Yeah, me too. Me too. Do you, like the, do you like the death songs, too, where people get into car crashes? 
Well, sometimes, you know, those. Yeah, are the, that was a weird fad. Oh, it certainly was. But uh, I think I just like the uh, car songs a little bit better, though. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but the Surfer Girl was actually written, well, the lyrics were inspired by Judy Bowles, his first serious girlfriend, who he dated for three and a half years. And this this is, I thought you'd find this interesting, is that the, the song is melodically based on When You Wish Upon a Star. Yeah, and you know, I went back and listened to it a few times, and you can hear it. But yeah. you, you wouldn't realize just listening to the song uh, by itself, but then you, when you compare them, like, oh. <laughs> but uh, the Beach Boys had a habit of uh, liberally using uh, other tunes. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, the whole Chuck Berry incident, right, with Sweet, Sweet Little 16, and uh, that, uh, that certainly, uh, Chuck wasn't too happy about that. I like your use of the word liberally. <laughs> Some would say plagiarism, but you know, I wouldn't say that. I just <laughs> yeah, homage, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, Chuck was not impressed, but um, you know, besides that, I mean, you know, for me, Pet Sounds and uh, Surf Stuff, those two albums, man, are just priceless. Oh, absolutely, and well, Pet Sounds certainly threw down the gauntlet, right, for the Beatles. They they saw Pet Sounds and they heard Pet Sounds and like, okay, we got to up our game here. Yeah, absolutely. And they did. I mean, that's what that's why we got Revolver and then Pepper, right? So, um, but yeah, Brian Wilson, Surfer Girl, classic. And um, I was lucky to see the Beach Boys in concert uh, with Wilson before he, I mean, this is back in the, what year would it have been? Late 70s, early 80s? I can't oh, wow. remember now, but they were good. They were, they were, it was good to see them. Nowadays, Mike Love just is not enough to carry the band. No, that's true, eh? But uh, back in the day, boy, they were on. Like when you listen to those and, and live recordings, no auto-tune, of course. So their harmonies uh, are all natural, right? They're having to harmonize with each other. And uh, I love that era of music, actually. Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, it's it's a, it's an extension of doo-wop, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you yeah. know, uh, we were just talking about a track uh, off air, but uh, Silk Sonic, that project that um, Bruno Mars and Anderson I Pack are that. doing. I so good, yeah. I absolutely love that project, too. And I hope they continue that for a long time because uh, they just released a new track. And, you know, I, I like talking about new music when it's good new music. And they have a follow-up to leave the door open. And their second track is... Uh, is called Skate, and what a throwback tune. What a wonderful song, and great harmonies, and everything about it. Just just awesome. Well, I like, too, that they're kind of doing the old school, releasing a couple of singles before the album comes out. I really think that's very cool, too. Oh, I, I love the whole vibe, and even, uh, you know, the outfits, and everything. It's fantastic. I was showing that to Cynthia yesterday, and yeah, she loved it. Uh, you know, I hope they tour, and I, I hope they come out my way for sure. Uh, I, I would I would go to Ottawa and I hope to see them in Toronto or you know I was come here we can hang out here too but I'll come to Ottawa too Montreal even yeah exactly exactly so this week on the charts though what was on the charts on uh, August 3rd 63 well you got number five is the safaris with wipeout with a great laugh at the beginning of the terrific drumming love that song um Elvis Presley the Jordanaires with you're the devil in disguise at four Janet Dean, another surf song, Surf City, at number three with Janet uh, Dean. <laughs> number two is Little, Little, Stevie Wonder. He was, what, 12 when he put this out? Yeah, about 12, I think. And 
Incredible. Fingertips, which I, which is classic. And number one, The Times, So Much in Love. Well, what an interesting chart. You can see the surf music creeping in there. and uh, yeah. But then, you know, you get little Stevie Wonder. Uh, what, a, what a talent. Uh, well, you, you know my admiration for him. Oh, yeah. I, 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 my biggest regret is not seeing him when he played here in Toronto when he did the uh, Songs of the Key of Life tour. And he just did oh. that album. I, I, I don't know what was the reason I couldn't go, but I couldn't go. And I just kicked myself. Well, you know what? We've all got a few concerts like that, don't we? That we <laughs> really wish we could have gone to. I've got some too. But uh, we're going to jump now to the East Coast. And we're going to stay on August 3rd. But we're going to go ahead 11 years to 1974. And we're going to be talking about a Canadian icon. Are you ready for this? I don't know if anyone's ready for this, but I'm ready. Here we go. Yeah, such an interesting story. All right, plug it in and uh, let's jump. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We'd like to just take a moment to suggest another one that you might like. Yes, it's a cool is a fantastic podcast that gives you a behind-the-scenes look at music, some interesting guests, some great conversation, and we had the privilege of throwing the host out of our van. Oh, that's right, back in our inaugural episode. Essence of Cool is hosted by Bernard Fraser, and each episode he's got fascinating guests, great stories, and he's got a fantastic ability to bring out the best in whoever he's talking with, doesn't he? And tuck and roll. He does a fantastic tuck and roll. That's right. So check out his show, folks. It's the essenceofcool.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I can't wait to check out his next episode. And now, let's get back to our road trip. We were in one of my favorite cities on August 3rd, 1974, here in New York City. But we just had a little promo there from Bernard Fraser, right? We did for his excellent podcast called The Essence of Cool. And actually, you were a guest on there. I, I enjoyed your interview a lot. Oh, thank you. You know, I, I, it's, it's doing the podcast with you is so easy. But then when I heard myself with Bernard, I just was cringing. So I'm looking forward to next week, I believe, or next episode, which is you, right? Yeah, I'm his guest. Uh, I'm the, the wrap up for the uh, the cleanup hitter, I guess, you know, if you want to go That's baseball. That's quite an honor, man. That's I, quite an honor. I, I, but, uh, I feel like I'm the least qualified of all the guests on there. But uh, I disagree entirely. That's not true at all. Not true at all. But a great show, folks, so give it a listen. But here we are, August 3rd, 74, New York City. And, you know, I just noticed a coincidence. You're going to New York City on August 3rd, 2021, in a few days. Oh, I know. Isn't that? I just, I never, and, and, and your wife's there now, and she'll be back on August 3rd, 2021. So yeah. that's, a, that's a big day, Tony. It is. So August 3rd, are you a fan of The Boss? Do you like Springsteen? You know, I'm huge huge fan of the boss i have i think all of his records except all the live stuff that's come out but i love him love him very much oh me too and you know normally the boss is the headliner right and uh, he's one of the biggest acts in the world but uh, on august 3rd 74 <laughs> he was the opener for a canadian icon and uh, i wonder if people can guess who springsteen opened for it's uh i i don't Charles think they will nope but uh so i'll let you uh, who did he open for well so there was a festival called the schaefer festival in new york at a place called woman skating rink this is this is great by the way i love that just a skating rink show the skating rink yeah yeah, it wouldn't you know what tony this is a truly a spinal tap moment oh absolutely (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so the main act, the headliner for that night in that festival was none other than our own songbird herself, Anne Murray. Yeah. Um, and the opening act, he had, she had two opening acts. One was Brewer and Shipley, who had that one hit. They're a one-hit wonder, one toke over the line. Yes, yes, which is a great and song. The, well, and, and, and Springsteen opened the whole concert, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. And he opened it with Jungle Land. I, I, I find that a, I mean, I love Jungle Land. It's one of my favorite Springsteen tracks, but I find that such an odd song to open with. Well, and can you imagine the crowd? They yeah. must like this. <laughs> they're not, there to see Anne Marie sing Snowbird or whatever this, you know, that yeah. one. Or and here's Springsteen doing Jungle Land. I, I would love to see a film with this the crowd. I would. I'd love to see that. Oh, me too. Especially because Jungle Land is what like clocks in at what seven eight minutes at least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, go big or go home, right? Well, that's right. But speaking of going big, you know, Anne Marie, uh, you know. You've got to admire what she did for uh, Canadian women musicians. I mean, uh, like her or hate her. And I remember growing up watching Anne Murray. You know, my folks liked her. My grandparents loved her. But the first Canadian woman to hit number one on the U.S. charts and the first to have a gold record. She had a gold record with Snowbird in 1970. Amazing. And she, she did something close to my heart. She sang Oh Canada. At the first American League baseball game played in Toronto for the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. She, you know what? I'm with you. Now, growing up, of course, it was not cool to like Anne Murray. No, absolutely um, not. But what was that song she had in the 80s? You Needed Me. That was a good song. Yeah. And You and Me. Do you remember that song? That was a yeah, big, yeah, big yeah, hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we wouldn't have a Shania Twain. We wouldn't have all. I mean, she, Shania Twain even acknowledges her her debt to, um, to, to Anne Murray. Oh, absolutely. And she did that Monkeys remake, right? Daydream Believer. Oh, that was huge. And she did a Beatle cover. Yeah. Um, um, you Won't See Me, which but, was a huge hit. Yeah. And actually, it was a good cover, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so uh, what's the other song I'm thinking of? One of my, I actually, it's one that I sang uh, at a wedding. Con Jenny? No. Could I Have This Dance? Do you remember that one? Could I Have This Dance? That was huge. But uh, that was huge. Yeah, that was, I worked in country radio. We played that all the time. Yeah, that was a big hit. Uh, but you know, I, there's some other things about her. I didn't realize she was such a good golfer. Yeah, but, that surprised me when I saw your notes. Yeah. So in 2007, one of the I can't remember which golf magazine, but they named her. This is unbelievable. They named her the world's best female celebrity golfer. Now I'm not a golfer, so uh, 11 handicap. Now I'm assuming that's really good. But I don't. I know very little about golf, you know. So you can't see me at home, folks. But I'm shrugging. I'm going, I don't know. So <laughs> I'm assuming that bigger is better with handicaps in golf. I I have no idea. Maybe one of our uh, listeners can comment in Facebook and let us know. But uh, we're we're betraying our own ignorance of uh, golf here. No, we're speaking to our working class backgrounds, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what? I, I, well, you know, I'm a musician, right? There's no way I could take up golf. I'd be divorced for sure. That would be. <laughs> yeah, I think if I became obsessed with anything other than record collecting, my wife would probably leave me too. But there you go. <laughs> well, that's right. But um, yeah, so Anne Murray uh, opening up and uh, the boss was her opening act. I thought that was a great story. And we had to talk about that this week. Now, it's almost as bizarre as Hendrix opening for the Monkees, almost. Oh, and speaking of Hendrix, did you hear the Joni Mitchell news? 
I've heard the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. It's on YouTube. So, uh, well, yeah. So the news, folks, is uh, Joni Mitchell is releasing uh, the tapes that uh, Hendrix made of her performing in Ottawa at uh, Café Le Ibu. Um, so Hendrix was in Ottawa as well, and he heard that uh, Joni Mitchell was playing, and he was a big fan of hers, and he walked in, and uh, they said, oh, Hendrix is at the door, and she and she went to talk to him, and he asked if he if uh, he could record her show, so he went, and he was sitting right by the stage with his reel-to-reel tape recorder and taped the show, and they thought these tapes were lost forever, and they just found them, and they're releasing them. That is such a great story. Oh, it's fantastic, and it's really good. She's amazing. This 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 whole series she's releasing of archive material is fantastic. Oh, I yeah, I love Joni Mitchell, and uh, you know Hendrix was a big fan too. He, uh, I, what I can't remember the quote he said, you know, about but he was just talking about how talented she was, and uh, everybody who knows how to play guitar, she is the most underrated guitar player. Try duplicating what she does. Uh, you know, I don't think you could. Well, her open tuning or whatever the tuning she does, right? Yeah, so, well, yeah, yeah. She got to the point where she actually forgot what tunings she was <laughs> using on different songs. And there was a guy who his he did a, a project where he cataloged all of Joni Mitchell's tunings, and she would have to refer to that book uh, to know. Oh, okay, yeah, I did that song and that tuning because she had like seventy four different tunings or something. <laughs> it, crazy. So another great Canadian musician, but uh, back to Anne Marie here. What was on the charts this week? Well, the charts was a it was an interesting top five. Number five, I don't know if you remember the song. I love this song, and in fact, was just playing my original forty five the other day. Paper Lace, the night Chicago died. Yeah, that, great, that's a great that, track. That is a great song. Steely Dan was that number four with Ricky. Don't lose that number. Try oh. saying that without singing the chorus. Yeah, that's right. number three was roberta flack with feel like making love number two is Elton john don't let the sun go down on me kind of a mellow top five and number one our favorite john denver with annie's song yeah that's interesting eh? that was a big big hit for john denver so a pretty uh, eclectic list there too but i don't hear john denver on the oldies channels very much i gotta be honest with you like here in toronto we have boom radio i never hear john denver so i'm just saying no, exactly. I don't hear him on the air too much either. But uh, now, you know what, Aaron? We're sticking with August 3rd today. That's our, our theme. And we're going to cross the pond here and go to London, England, August 3rd, 2007. And uh, you ready to do this? Oh, I'm ready because our Beatle moment may be in England as well. Well, there you go. So I've got this thing filled up with premium gas. We're ready to jump. Smart man you are. Okay, here we go. So here we are in London, and I must say, Tony, that was a smooth drive over here. Fantastic driving. Yeah, I think I'm finally getting the hang of this thing. Oh, you more than got the hang of it. You're doing great. It's fantastic. And I like being the passenger so I can look at the seagulls. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We're here at the Imperial College in London, and you and I are going to pick up a thesis so we can read it and later discuss it and, uh, you know, debate. But the thesis is titled, A Survey of Radio Velocities in the Zodiacal Dust Cloud. Well, that that sounds like a little light reading, doesn't it? Or a sleeping pill. But who wrote that? Well, interestingly enough, Dr. Brian May wrote that. So Queen guitarist Brian May handed in his astronomy PhD thesis. 36 years. Can you believe that? 36 years after abandoning that research. 
uh, because he joined Queen, he finally had time to finish it up and hand it in, and he was granted his PhD at the Imperial College in London. What an amazing story. You, can you imagine his parents going, you know, Bryant, finish your PhD. Don't worry about this bad queen. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. And uh, so, yeah, he started his research in 1970 and, and abandoned it uh, for obvious reasons. But uh, after he got his doctorate, you know, his academic career is, is pretty impressive. Like he was a chancellor in uh, Liverpool at uh, Liverpool John Moores University for five years. So pretty cool. And he's a lecturer now, isn't he? He still is, is lecturing to this day, I think. Can you imagine getting your BA or whatever degree from Brian May? Yeah, I like. I wonder. I wonder if his classes are packed. You know, I would imagine they. I mean, and how many people even know what he's talking about? They just want to stare at him. You know? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but what an interesting guy, you know, because uh, his guitar, right? The red. It just fits with his whole personality. Because he's an incredibly intelligent man. Uh, his guitar, the red special. He, you know, was built with his father. It was using wood from a fireplace uh household items like mother of pearl buttons like they built this thing the tremolo arm was made from parts from an old bicycle saddlebag uh, amazing his uh his red special and, and of course he had a a custom version of that red special made but uh such an interesting guitar player and i play a guitar a bit i'm a passable guitar player not a terrific one but uh you know, he uses coins instead of a pick, which I've had to do only when I couldn't find a pick. And, and I find it hard to do, but he gets that, that certain sound that he likes by using coins. But uh, I love his playing. I, I've got to say, when he was picked, you know, in that recent poll as the number one rock and roll guitarist of all time, I love Brian May's playing. That's just, just my opinion. It's certainly distinct. I like it as well. I mean, I think, you know, when I hear things like We Are the Champions, I think he makes the song with his solo or even Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, but even things like Keep Yourself Keep Yourself Alive and all those songs, are, Tie Your Mother Down, fantastic. His guitaring is just, it, it's it's distinct. It's his own style. I like the fact that he uses coins. I'd love to find, find one of those coins. That'd be pretty pretty cool. But it's not surprising that his dad built a guitar because he was a draftsman. At the Ministry of Aviation, right? So yeah. you have some knowledge about that stuff. So that's kind of cool. And his mother was, uh, I guess, just a stay-at-home mom, right? Yeah, but you know, smart guy, right? I, I mean, he uh, he went and did his mathematics and physics at Imperial College and then uh, got his Bachelor of Science with honors, of course. And, uh, of course. <laughs> but, you know, just decided to leave the band. And like you say, I wonder, uh, I wonder what his parents would have thought you know whether they were supportive of that or not because uh, what a decision uh, and uh, a, a shock decision i'm sure to everybody right well and and it's so funny that he he you know all those years later i gotta you have to admire someone who sees something through even if it takes 36 years. i mean i'm still working on my budget from 1992 for work but that's neither here nor there oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know he saw it through right it took him Three and a half decades when he did it, right? Well, that's right. Now, I'm going to, you know, uh, just say one more thing about his guitar playing. And, and just from a musician's perspective, um, another thing I like about Brian May's guitar playing is that he doesn't feel the need to fill in every microsecond with riffs. You know, you hear some of these guitarists who've got incredible incredible technique and brian may would be the first guy to tell you there's lots of guys who can shred rings around me but uh tasteful 
tasteful playing always and and for me that wins out over shredding every time you know i can put up with shredding for a minute or two but as soon as i hear that going on i i'm out uh even from a jazz perspective because it's just it comes across sometimes as very self-indulgent you know so i i love his solos because they're musical they're melodic yeah exactly they're melodic he 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 creates a melody with his guitar solos which is you know, very few guitarists do. I agree with you about shredding. I mean, you listen to half a dozen heavy metal bands. That's all they do. He creates a melody and it's a beautiful structure. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Beautiful playing. Now, 2007, uh, I was really interested in finding out what was going on uh, on the charts uh, because 2007, right, were Apple iTunes era. So what was on the charts? Well, you know, it's funny because I, 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 it reminded me of my daughter's children, like when they were kids because they were listening to more commercial radio than I was. Number five was Shop Boys, not the Pet Shop Boys, who I love, but Shop Boys, Party Like a Rockstar. I don't know. Timberland featuring Carrie Hilson, The Way I Are. Man, that's good grammar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> number three, uh, Rihanna featuring Jay-Z with Umbrella, or should I pronounce it Umbrella? Ella. That's um, right, Ella, Ella, Ella. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ella, Ella. Uh, Fergie, uh, number two with Big Girls Don't Cry. And number one is a song I love. Me too. Did you really? Yeah, I actually attempted to learn this on the on the guitar. I liked it so much. So yeah, it's, a, it's a, hey there, the hey there, Delilah. Yeah. Um, can I tell you a quick, very funny story? When that was my, I took my daughter to see them. Emily, my oldest daughter, we went to see Plain White Tees. It was our first ever concert, and they were. Um, signing autographs at the beginning of the show before the show started and they were so lovely to the little girl they were so great to my daughter awesome, awesome. they spent time with her they signed posters they talked to her had pictures to they were really lovely guys so that was it was nice seeing them at number one and an artist that you and i both love amy winehouse was at number 18 that week with the song that had peaked at number nine called rehab yeah what a i mean sad you know the circumstances around that song but great song boy oh fantastic song yep but, uh, you know, the Plain White Tees, um, I, I was mentioning, I had started that, uh, so learning that song on guitar. Well, maybe 36 years from now, when I'm finished, I'll, I'll play it. You know? <laughs> when, when I get my budget in, and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm with you there, Tony, I'm with you there. Well, uh, this has been an excellent trip, but I'm ready to head back to 2021. What about you? I think we need to do a detour for the Beatle moment. We do. That's why I'm excited about, uh, uh, so heading back. So let's head back and then we'll find out what the Beatles were up to because we were talking about this before. I mean, when we're researching this show, there's a Beatles thing for every day of the year. Well, there's multiple Beatles things, right? So, yeah. yeah. And and we all know, uh, you and I like to say, all roads lead back to the Beatles. So let's jump to the present and find out what the Beatles were up to. Well, here we are back in 2021. Aaron, what was the coolest thing about this road trip today for you? What was the, you know, maybe the thing you learned that you were like, oh. I think Brian Wilson. I think that was the biggest aha moment. The other two are kind of weird, like Springsteen. But Brian Wilson, really, that was a big wow. You know, how about you? Uh, well, I thought the fact that uh, Anne Murray being basically a professional golfer was very, very cool. You know, I had no idea. Yeah, that's a good one, too. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know what? We should find out what the Beatles were up to, because 
all roads lead back to the Fab Four. So I'm going to queue up Rick's Stinger here, and I can't wait to see what you've got. There was an awful lot going on on August 3rd. Um, So two things, Tony, for Beatles. Uh, First thing is in 1971, Paul McCartney announced the formation of his new group, Wings, which featured his wife, Linda, and former, not former, former Moody Blues guitarist, Danny Lane. Uh, There was two other members, Henry McCulloch and and, um, the drummer, whose name just went straight out of my head. But... There was a band called Wings, and they started, and then they'd go on to have numerous hits in the 1970s. But the big thing in 63, August 3rd, and this is kind of weird, I think, is that the Beatles played their last ever performance at the Cavern Club. Yes. And at that point, they actually performed one of 64, which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. But there's a coincidence. You know what it is, don't you? I do, because... August 3rd is also the date that they played their first ever Cavern, Cavern Club show, right? What year was that? Well, that would have been 1961 with, with the Quarrymen, right? Yeah, but, uh, you know, amazing, isn't it? That uh, first and last shows played all on August 3rd. I, I love stuff like that. Well, you talk about Cosmic. I mean, the fact that they, they, they and I don't think it was a conscious thing, because I don't know that they knew that the show they did on August 3rd was going to be their last at the cavern because they didn't know, you know, what was going to happen. Right. I mean, they, they knew they were getting bigger, but who knew that, you know, this was going to explode. And, you know, according to John Lennon, you know, there's crowds for the, for that show, but uh, they went on sale July 21st at 1:30 PM and sold out in 30 minutes, which people today are going to go 30 minutes. Folks, remember, this was people lining up and having to buy a piece of paper. They couldn't go online or the telephone or they. So 30 minutes is pretty fast if you think about it. Well, yeah, exactly. And uh, they did when I'm 64 at the final performance because the power went out. Right. So just uh, (laughs) (laughs) see those gremlins, Tony. But you see, good things come from it like that. Like when I'm 64, I love too bad no one taped that. eh? Oh, exactly. But, you know, the other thing that's cool about that is. I, I had no idea that When I'm 64 was written that early, right? Well, they, they perform- it was written before that. McCartney wrote that when he was 16, um, playing his dad's piano. And he just kind of hit upon it and he played it. Yeah, it's incredible, eh? Oh, it's amazing. So today was all about coincidences, folks. <laughs> August 3rd, man. Great day. Well, that's right. Well, Aaron, a fantastic road trip as usual, and I'm glad that uh, the Wayback Music Machine was working flawlessly today. What a what a relief after yesterday's uh, misadventures. Yeah, two thumbs up. Well, it was the weather. It, I'll, I'll, I'll blame the weather. I think so, but uh, you know what? I'm looking forward to next time, and I'm looking forward to in a couple of weeks when we're going to record live in person again, so that'll be fantastic. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm so excited about that. And maybe, if I time it right, I can see you perform live. Oh, yeah, that'll be awesome. That'll be great. That's my goal. All right. See you next week, my friend. Have a great trip to New York City. Thank you. And you take good care of yourself. Music for today's episode of the Wayback Music Machine podcast was written by Rick Deneen. The show notes, chart selection, and Spotify playlist were created by Aaron Badgley. And the artwork, recording, editing, and sound production was done by Tony Stewart. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to tell a friend or two. 
And don't forget to click follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast player to get the latest episodes automatically. And we'd love it if you would leave us a review. You can also engage with the show by going on our website and leaving us a voicemail. We may even play your voicemail on an upcoming episode. Thanks for taking this road trip with us, and we'll see you next time on the Wayback Music Machine Podcast. Hey, turn the radio up. I love this song. The Wayback Music Machine Podcast is a Stewie Tunes production.